0: I had the great pleasure of chatting with Spike Cohen Spike and I discussed the Libertarian Party Libertarian Messaging Lockdowns and Cancel Culture I think you'll really enjoy this podcast unfortunately Boogie did not want to let us finish the podcast he interrupted us about 50 some odd minutes in so you get A pretty good conversation and then a pretty entertaining ending. But before we get into the podcast, go to where you listen to all your podcasts. Rate, review, five stars. Five stars. If you would like to reach out to me, tommy at libertarianinstitute.org. If you need any graphic design needs, go to ryanbunting.com ryanbunting.com is where you get your graphic design done. Ryan is the gentleman who designed my logo and Pete's logo and also the cover for my upcoming book. And as always, thank you, Tom Burton, for the music. Enjoy. All right, man. Well, I am here with Mr. Spike Cohen. How's it going, sir?
1: I'm doing great, Tommy. How are you doing, man?
0: I'm doing well, man. I'm doing really well. It's a, it's a beautiful day uh, to be out on the road. I wish I was fishing though. I think that's going to be my new intro theme. Everybody I'm going to bring on the show until, uh, until it gets cold again. I'm going to just tell them "Well, I should be fishing.
1: You'd rather be fishing than interviewing the person. That's I I would rather be fishing than doing pretty much (laughs) anything. I'm not going to lie to you. I'd rather be on the beach uh, swimming in the water than doing anything so I totally empathize with you there were plenty of times this summer I'd be getting interviewed by someone and they're like how are you doing and I'm like I'm inside and dry but other than that I'm doing great how are you doing (laughs) that's
0: awesome well hey I had uh I saw your this this tweet thread you'd you'd put out this morning and I thought that was a really good place to start would you mind uh running through that story for
1: us Sure. So, for those who don't know, uh, in twenty fourteen, uh, this actually today, seven years ago today, uh, I was told by uh, a, neuro- a neurologist that I and I was in an emergency room because the right side of my body had gone numb and a, uh, I was told by a neurologist after doing MRIs and testing that I was, it was likely that I had MS, multiple sclerosis. Um, MS is something that they almost can never diagnose at that time, it usually takes months or years. It's what's called a differential diagnosis, which means they have to rule out a ton of other stuff before they finally zero in and say that it's MS. But I, I knew it was MS, uh, it had, I had the, the lesions, in my, uh, in my brain and, and spine that are kind of the telltale signs of MS. I had the symptoms of MS, all of the tests that they had done initially came back negative, uh, for, for anything else that I could have potentially had. I knew it was just a matter of time and it hit me like a ton of bricks. At that point I had, uh, at gosh, uh, I was six. old was i in in 2014 um so seven years from now man you're making me do math Uh, so i at at this point i was 15 years into my business i'd spent almost half of my life in business um i had you know pretty successful uh company i uh you know had a good family uh i was happy with my wife and you know i thought i had the bull by the horns and i was going to go and grow into the multi-billion dollar business that i was working on growing it into and then when you get told that you have an uh incurable or at least as of yet incurable neurodegenerative progressive disorder where your immune system's trying to eat your brain and your spine. Uh, it really just, it's, it's, it's as defeating as anything else. Uh, I would be, I would assume that it would be similar to being told that you had, you know, stage three cancer or state or something like that, because this is something that doesn't go away. There are treatments that can kind of put it at bay, but it it never actually goes away. And I was able to get, uh, uh, steroid treatment and they brought the symptoms down and I kind of reached equilibrium and stabilized for a couple years, but I was never the same and I was just kind of going through life broken um waiting in dread for the next shoe to drop and, and sure enough within a couple of years i started having more symptoms uh, and i'd had more relapses and uh in the end of 2016 i was finally told that i did for certain have ms that was actually a good thing because it allowed me to now seek out treatments uh, once you have the diagnosis you can now get into the actual treatment and um so they sat me down and, and this is this is actually the part that was more life-changing than the diagnosis itself um or at least a more positive change I was told that the, the purpose of all the different MS treatments, they're called DMTs, disease modifying therapies. It's interesting that they're called DMT. If I'm ever on I, Rogan and it, he asked,
0: it took me a minute to figure out you weren't talking about <laughs> taking DMT.
1: I was like DMT. Yeah. Oh, I wish I could
0: get prescribed DMT.
1: <laughs> if if I ever go on Rogan and he says, Have you tried DMT? I'm like, I take DMT every single month. Anyway, so you know they're telling me the course that might the the goal of the treatment is to slow down the progression of my MS. To the point where it's not much different than just the typical aging process that we all go through. And that was supposed to make me feel better. That actually hit me like a ton of bricks because I realized in that moment, you know we have a sense of permanence, right? We have this sense of, we know we're all going to die, but we really just try our best not to think about it. So it's this sort of, this thing that's far, far away and it's never going to happen. And in the meantime, we can just do whatever we want. And and so we get caught up in in real petty stuff, consumerism, petty disagreements, uh, shame about past things, stupid stuff that really doesn't matter. Um, You know, inconvenient, trivial things that happen throughout the day. We get caught up in a bunch of Minutia stuff that really at the end of the day doesn't matter and I I realized in that moment pick a time 100 years 200 years whatever from now none of us will be here our wealth won't matter How uh, how much fun we had didn't matter. What agreement disagreements we had didn't matter. The only thing that will matter is how much of a positive impact we were able to make on the lives of other people around us. How much were we able to help others? Did we do so much that we were able to create a ripple effect where others were inspired to also help others? Will it be will the world be better off because we were here, or will it not even matter? And that completely retooled my way of thinking about life. I in that moment I realized. Everything I had been working on were things that eventually would not matter to me or to anyone else uh, once I'm no longer here. And so I retired from my business and I was at a point where I didn't really have to work for money, which allowed me to to really focus on, well, what do I want to do? What do I want my legacy to be? And I realized that I I had been a libertarian for many years at, at that point, but I realized that I had... There were two things. Number one, I hadn't really spent the time on libertarian messaging and activism that I wanted to. It was more of a casual thing to me. And number two, I realized that where my mindset on libertarianism came from was all wrong. My libertarianism was focused on things that I hated, things that I raged against against things that outraged me. I was disgusted by the wars overseas. I was outraged by, you know, the camps on the border. I was disgusted by and hateful of the the prison industrial complex, the fact that you have poor people that are segregated into failing schools that they have no hope of getting out of and they end up in prison. And all of these things filled me with hatred. And I was motivated by a a rage. You know, they talk about rage against the machine. I was doing it. I was raging, uh, even though I was myself in a pretty comfortable lifestyle, just seeing those things happening around me filled me with rage. And I realized something, my rage wasn't helping anyone. My, My outrage about it, my anger my hatred of it was not helping a single person. And I realized in that moment, if for no other reason than the fact that I needed to change how I processed life. My body was not going to let me rage through life. It would kill me very early on if I continued to do that. And so I realized that I had it all wrong. My libertarianism is not going to be about what I hate. I'm not going to be outraged about an out of control government because I hate the people in power and I want bad things to happen to them and I want them out. I'm a libertarian because I want that harm to end. I want to free people from cages. I want to free people from criminal records for victimless crimes. I want to free people from not being able to defend themselves because of the war on guns. I want to free people from being bombed and abused overseas because of this failed war on terrorism. I want to end the the spying on people. I want people to be freer and happier and healthier and safer and more prosperous than they have ever been before. And I want future generations, their children, their children, and their children, to do better than we can even imagine right now. And so it really just retooled everything. And and the purpose for that post was kind of threefold. Number one, I wanted people to know that, you know, whatever's happening right now that seems insurmountable, everything passes eventually. This too will pass and things do eventually get better. There may be some new thing to have to deal with and I I certainly can't guarantee that there won't be more challenges and fun stuff down the road, but whatever you're going through right now will pass. The next thing I want to tell you is that our activism and our uh, our legacy has to come from a place of making a positive impact on those around us, because that's something that is immortal, that is something that will survive long after we are gone, long after we're no longer here, the people that we were helped will help other people who will help other people and create a, hopefully a culture of helping others. And then the last thing that I, I, that I, I want to say in, in, in all of this is that the terrible things that happen could very well end up putting you on a path that you that you know it's far better than anything you could have imagined before that's certainly what happened to me if someone had told that broken man in 2014 that you know one day a few years later he'd be traveling around the country and doing interviews every day and spreading the message of liberty i would have i would have thought it was some kind of cynical joke and and here i am and um so that that's my that's that's the message behind what i posted and it's it's really the message that i give every day or try to give every day
0: no. And when I read that and, and the reason I wanted you to go through that, because I think, I think Liberty, the, the message of, of Liberty is, um, is, is very important. And the way that we, that we reach people. And I read it and I was like, this is what I liked about him. Like I, I knew, like when I saw you as, as vice presidential candidate, I was like, oh, I really like that guy. I was telling, I was telling friends of mine that, that, like uh, that were fans of yours like I really like him I'd never heard of you before but I was like I really like this guy I I can't place like what's different about him but I really (laughs) like him you know and that you have this like charisma about you you have this this spirit about you but there's this hopefulness that you that you give off which is really nice it's really appealing you know and people are drawn to that you know you you draw more flies with honey than you do
1: with shit you know so Oh, maybe not. Um. <laughs> it, it depends. You know what? It takes all kinds. There are some people that are drawn into And that's why I say, you know, when people will say, oh, well, you know, this person on their podcast, they're angry and they're full of rage. And they're and I'm like, you know what? They might be drawing people in with that. There are people that right now they don't want to hear about hope. They want to hear about how angry they are about stuff. And that's right. fine. It, it, it takes all kinds. My activism. My activism and my messaging focuses on, this does not have to be this way. The catchphrase that I use is, you are the power. And and what that, it means many different things. It means that this sham of a system that we live in, this con game, can't exist without you and the the consent of you and others. And, And that's not blaming you for it. It's saying that when enough of us say, there, there's a picture that I, I see where uh, it's a person standing on a, on a plank that's that's out off a cliff, and he's up on a pedestal at the end of the plank, and he's ordering people around. And there's this whole crowd in front of him that he's ordering around, and they're standing on the plank that holds him up. So the minute they walk away, he's going to fall off into the cliff. And you notice there are some people on the edges that are looking at the plank and they just start walking away like, wait a second, we don't have to do this. And so that's that's part of the message is that you know we have the power to fix these things working together. We have the power to topple all of these people and to kick them out of office and to dismantle the power structures they built and put the power and the freedom and the money back in the hands of the people where it always damn well belonged. But the right. other part of saying you are the power is that you are more powerful than anyone will probably let you know there are things incredible things that you are able to do and all it takes is giving up on the things that we are told that matter the things that we focus so much of our life on waste probably 80 90 even now i still get caught up in dumb stuff and i have to take steps back and uh and and say wait a second none of this matters it's not going to matter, matter three days from now much less you know three years from now or three decades from now and when you do that, when you free yourself of the things that truly don't matter and focus on what does matter and focus on what actually is important, being kind to others, helping others, telling others that they don't have to live this way, spreading a message of freedom in a cheerful way, we can do incredible things. Right. And, you
0: know, I, I really appreciate it. And like I said, it's really appealing the way that you, that you approach that. And I do try to stay on the more positive side but i do rage against the machine quite a bit oh yeah you know i mean um you know when i I remember the coups in venezuela when they were trying to overthrow the maduro government in venezuela and i came out with a podcast and i was raging against libertarians that were cheering them on because socialism and i was just like this is ridiculous, man. It doesn't matter what the government over there is. What our government is doing is wrong, and you can And it really angered me to see libertarians saying, "Oh, well, it's okay because socialism," and just kind of giving it a pass. And I was, right. I was really angry about that. And I did. I went off for probably forty-five minutes. I was cussing and ranting and raving. I was just like, "This yeah, is yeah, yeah. insanity. You, we we don't need that," you know. And but at the same time. I look at your message and I look at the libertarian infighting and that's been something that's really like pushed me away from the libertarian party. Like I, I, I involved myself in the libertarian party for the first time, three years ago. And then I was just like, I looked at what was happening and I was like, I just wasted $25 like to, you know, to join this party. (laughs) And then I got the, I got the renewal a year later. And I was like, all right, well, I'm gonna renew. And I was like, six months later, I wasted another $25. Like what the hell? And 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 this happened again last year, I felt the same way. And so now I'm this year, I'm like, I don't even know if I want part of this. I don't even know if it's worth it. You know, I'll just keep podcasting, trying to spread the message of liberty, having good conversations, trying to attract people in that way, you know, because I don't do this for popularity or fame or whatever. I do this because I'm trying to draw as much attention to this message so that my kids who are are just entering adulthood right now, I have a granddaughter that's a year old, they experience some sort of liberty in their lifetime because
1: I'm pretty sure I'm not going to see it. Exactly, and here's the thing I want to say, Tommy. And I say this as a lifetime member of the Libertarian Party. Someone who every weekend, ne- next weekend I'll be in uh, Oklahoma. Or, or what tomorrow I'll be in Oklahoma City. Last weekend I was in Huntsville, Alabama, for their convention. The week before I was in Atlanta. Pretty much every weekend I'm going to be at some Libertarian Party event uh, of a uh, state level party event or even national party event. Pretty much between now and the end of the year, uh, with hopefully a couple breaks in there. Actually, I'd like to go somewhere else. But you know, as someone who is very hyper involved in the libertarian party and trying to right that ship i need people to know that the libertarian party is not the exclusive libertarianism is not the exclusive property of the libertarian party the the liberty movement the libertarian party is one part of the liberty movement and Mm -hmm. if someone is there and they feel as though you know they're and I'm not discouraging people from joining or from renewing or anything else. I hope you stick around because I I need everyone's help that I can get to help turn this ship and, and, and get some incredible things done. But if you feel as though your time and, and effort and money that in the party is being wasted, and if you see another more viable alternative uh in, in terms of libertarian activism or direct action or mutual aid or or you know podcasting or you know uh libertarian meetups or you know pushing for you know certain legislation in your area or whatever then do that like you know th- this at no point should someone feel shamed guilted or obligated to be a part of the libertarian party because it's got the word libertarian next to it if you feel that this is a viable vehicle uh to put your time money and resources into and efforts into to help push the message of liberty then you know come aboard and we we can't we can't wait to work with you but it is not you know This is not the be-all end all of liberty. The libertarianism existed long before the Libertarian Party. And hopefully, when we accomplish our goals and set people free and don't need a libertarian party, libertarianism will continue to exist and flourish long after it.
0: Right. Yeah. And that that's that would be great. You know, that would be great. And I look at what's going on with like um like Dave Smith and and Reed Coverdale and these guys and the libertarian unity message. And I'm like, okay, like I see what you're doing. But yep. then you, then you, but then you still get the same old cancer popping up. You know, it's like, well, I was like, when, are, when is this cancer like going to just like disintegrate? You know, when, when will the tumor that, that is these people that want to throw around the name calling and the, and in the wokeness or whatever they're doing, I can't even like figure out what they're doing, what their goals are other than to be part of some big club. So it's like, we want to be the most elite people in this tiny little club. And it's like we want to why? be the
1: biggest fish in this increasingly deteriorating pond that we in the we're in. in the let, goldfish bowl. In the goldfish bowl. And the thing is, so let me just throw some number at well. First, I'm gonna say this. There are some people in the <coughs> libertarian party, and it's it's individual people. This is not that there's an entire group of people, uh, but there are some within the party and even a couple within. You know, what I would call leadership or prominence within the party that would rather the party be smaller if it meant that the kind of people they disagree with left. Now, let me put in perspective how terrible that is, Tommy. In order to, and this is some very rough back of the book math. So, you know, I uh, don't expect me to pull out charts and graphs. This is just some rough numbers. In order for us to be able to win because right now we're at a the, the party membership and size and, and, and resources are at the ability to be able to get on all 50 state ballots. And in terms of winning elections, we're able to win at least a couple dozen to a couple hundred uh, elections at the local level, maybe one or two state legislative races. But we're at the real basic bottom level of having any kind of electoral success, which is really, I mean, we're the only third party that has that right now. But in order for us to be able to have any kind of success at the federal level or the statewide level, in order for us to win even a single... Congressional race, or a, a single, you know, gubernatorial race or Secretary of State race, and to win many more local elections, we need to be roughly 10 times bigger, and 10 times, you know, more funded, and just all around 10 times larger in, in every measure in every metric than we are now. In order to seriously contend presidential elections and, you know, and, and be able to have a hope of getting a majority or even a large number of people in the Senate and to get a majority in the house and to, you know, be like one of the major, you know, two or three parties out there, we have to grow to 50 to hundred times our current size. The fact that there are people who are in positions of leadership within the party. And I'm not even going to name names because it's not a name thing. It's this is right. a mindset, not individuals. This right. is this is not about a specific person. And when we get rid of that person, it'll all be gone. This is a mindset. There are those with the mindset that it would be better for us to be even smaller, even less able to do what the purpose of the Libertarian Party is, which is to contest and win elections. That's the purpose of a political party. And they would rather us be even less able to do that. And even less involved in the national conversation if it meant that people that they disagree with aren't a part of the party. And when you consider the fact that if you take the people on the outside fringes of the party, And more than likely, if you just gave them a series of yes or no answers on different policies, they would probably agree like 85% of the time, if not more. Now, that 15% is still important, and it's still important to have that discussion and debate, but the fact that you would allow 15% or 10% or whatever it is to refuse to work with people, and this is happening on, on all sides here, refusing to work with people or wanting to push out people when we desperately need to be bringing in many, many more people, getting people on fire, setting a fire for liberty and getting people excited to come here in droves and become a part of the liberty movement it just seems so incredibly counterintuitive and unfortunate to me
0: yeah it, it, absolutely especially after the last week last year of lockdowns and all that and, and yes. you and you look at these people and they're they're worried about you know just some of the most obscure stuff and you're looking at it and you're like what are you even talking about You have a totalitarian government that's locking people in their homes. They're perfectly happy with 12 year olds committing suicide. You know, like they're not doing, and you're focused completely on the wrong thing. Like, how are you, how do you expect for people like me, the working class guy that's looking at what's happening to my friends and my family, you know, around the, around the country. And, and I'm like, how do you expect me to relate to you? Like, what, what are you saying? What message are you delivering other than saying, oh, you're not pure enough? Okay, like, I'm sorry, I may not be pure enough, but I'm fighting a battle against this totalitarian state and, and telling people they don't have to put up with getting locked in their homes. Basically, right. you know, locked in solitary confinement for a year, you know? <laughs> and the only time you can for go out people, is yeah. when you have a mask over your face. You know, you. I mean come on, man. Like this is, this is insane. Why are we having these ridiculously like obscure absurd battles over you said a no, no word, or you talked to a no, no person, or you did a no, no thing 15 years ago. It's like, all right, whatever, man.
1: Yeah. So the, the, I want to talk about that. There was two different things there. One was the, the, the lack of good messaging coming from national. Some of that is just the fact that they don't have a communications department. My understanding is that they're working on creating one now, but it's really an ad hoc system of well who do you think we should post that and then they or tweet that and then they they vote on it and so there's there's like a, a it's it's sort of like messaging by committee instead of putting someone in charge and saying here we trust you to spread the libertarian message as the party you know we'll rein you in if if we think that something you know is too far out there but for the most part go out there and give the liberty message they won't do that or they haven't yet hopefully that is what they're going to do but as a result there's sort of this weird hodgepodge of messaging that's often or sometimes uh, counterintuitive or contradictory um it's in, it's interesting that in the last year the most swift condemnation that came from the libertarian party was of the capitol hill riots now i want to say something I don't support the Capitol Hill riots. I don't think that they were fighting for freedom. They were fighting because they didn't like the election outcome, and they were trying to, you know, they thought that they were going to, you know, reinstall Trump. They had no real plan to do so. They just kind of showed up and then walked around and took pictures because they had no clue what they were doing. There, there was nothing good that came from that, and it gave government an excuse now to lock down the Capitol Hill and push for domestic extremism, uh, uh, restrictions, and all of this stuff. You know, so it, it was bad all the way around. But the fact that after a year of the government telling almost the entire population whether or not they were essential and watching the massive amounts of harm that was done as a result of the lockdowns, which we now have the benefit of the data showing us, did nothing to slow the spread of COVID in the states where it was implemented. And we knew that that was going to happen because the World Health Organization was saying from the beginning, lockdowns are a short-term temporary thing to give hospitals time to get get situated. You cannot do them long-term. They will do far more harm than good, and they won't slow the spread of the virus. We already knew that, and they did it anyway. Mm -hmm. After a year of that, the fact that the strongest condemnation that came out was attack on a government building, which again, I don't support. It was good that we said something about it. I'm not, I'm not saying any of that. But the fact that that was the strongest thing, the fact that there was an almost total absent of absence of any real messaging speaking out against these ridiculous lockdowns, which is one of the greatest uh, uh, at large impeach uh, uh, infringements on the lives of everyday Americans uh, that we've seen certainly in our times. Uh, just because of how widespread it was. I mean, there's certainly times when individuals and groups have been harmed greater than than these lockdowns did, but never was the whole country like this, not in our times anyway. Right. And the fact yeah. that there was almost nothing that came out of that, it just shows a problem with messaging. I want to talk now about the ca- cancel culture thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think that it is... I think it's good when people hold people accountable for bad actions in the now or things that they haven't atoned for or whatever else and not canceling and ruining them or whatever. But I think it's good. Like when we say, why, sh- you know, a government shouldn't, uh, shouldn't uh, stop people from discriminating, but how, how do we deal with that? Well, we deal with that by saying, Hey, these people are racist or bigots and we don't want to do business with them. Mm-hmm. That's different from what's happening with cancel culture. Now, like you said, they're going after things that people said five, 10, 15 years ago. I remember there was a kid that he's like 20 something. And, uh, Uh, He got hired by Michelob, uh, Michelob or, or, or Budweiser, one of the beer companies, because he was holding up a sign at one of the football games and he became a sponsor and they gave him some money and he was on their social media. And someone dug up a tweet he did from like 2009 or 2010 when he was in middle school and he said like the N-word or he said some racist thing or some whatever. And he was a kid and he immediately apologized for it and said, I'm so sorry that I did that. And they still wanted him can- canceled. He, there was no redemption. When you have... Have a movement or a, a cultural phenomena that is based on the idea of destroying the livelihood and 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 uh, reputation of someone who did something at any point in their life, and that there's no chance for uh for redemption. You simply have to say, oh, I did this thing. I am now untouchable for the rest of my life. I still have to prostrate myself before everyone and say how terrible I am, knowing full well that everyone's still going to call me a scumbag for the rest of my life. I'm going to go sit in the corner now and wait to die. Th- this is a bad thing. And especially when you consider that the the standards continue to tighten and tighten and tighten, and they go back retroactively. So there are plenty of people now we're seeing who are just as woke and, and social justice friendly as any as the next person And they're being canceled for stuff they said five, six years ago, that was either fine or no one really cared about it. But now it's, you know, it's phobic or it's bigoted or it's whatever. And, you know, I I don't think that it's bad to find, you know, unironic racists and Nazis and say, hey, this person's a racist or a Nazi. I don't think we should, you know, deal with them. and And I think that they're bad or whatever. But that's different than what's happening now. It's getting worse and worse and worse. And this, it just goes to show when people have power, they often abuse it. And cancel culture has become a powerful thing. And as with any other powerful tool, it's often being abused. And and, and it's a it's an issue. I do think we're going to reach an equilibrium where at some point people are going to go, wait, isn't everyone canceled now? So if we're all canceled, then I guess none of us are canceled. Right. Uh, and it may take that. It may take every single person realizing how, how terrible they are and how they can't meet their own standards. Um, you know, I, I think that's a weird cultural phenomenon. And I, I, I tend to think you know, if you look at things like witch hunts, the Spanish Inquisition, the Salem witch trials, these are things they reach a, a, a critical mass and then they eventually, you know, go away when people realize how absurd they were. And I, I think that's where we're headed with this.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think anybody should be judged solely on the worst act they've ever or, or word they've ever said in their life. You know, in the past. Yeah. 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 You know, like 15 years ago, I did something really stupid. And now for the rest of my life, that's what I am. I am that, you know, and it's like, Like, uh, if
1: I had, if there had been a Twitter when I was in high school, I mean, think about that. Anyone watching this or listening to this, think about the things that you used to say. If you're, you know, if you're in your 30s, 40s, like, 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 you know, I'm, I'm 39, I'm I'm 41 this year. If, okay, you're our age, you're mine and Tommy's age. Okay, you're in your 30s, your 40s, whatever. Think about the stuff you used to say in high school. Think about the stuff she used to stay in college. Now, imagine if there was a permanent record of this on social media that anyone could pull from and go, oh my gosh, look at what this person said, you know, 20 years ago, 12 years ago, whatever. And then you get, you get your life now is ruined. Uh, I'm seeing where they're going after like jokes that David Letterman said in the nineties. And it's just, it's, you know, I thank God that there was no social media when I was in high school. Cause I'd absolutely be canceled. I was a high schooler. You know like I, I wasn't a bad person and I wasn't a racist and I'd ever hurt anyone but the things that high schoolers say they're now saying for everyone to see they're now saying it on videos and right. and, and 10 15 years from now when they know far better for their actions they are now held to the, the the that standard that day's standard of what they said back then and and even in the in the context of them being a kid when they did it and there's no way for them to apologize or, or atone for it it's it's right. absurd
0: yeah they uh what, what it was at the the new editor of Teen Vogue, got, I guess she got fired or was forced to resign because of a tweet she had posted when she was 17. Yeah, and that was like 10 years ago. She's 27 yeah. years yeah. old now. It's like, yeah, come on, man. I mean, I'm not a, I, I don't read Teen Vogue, obviously. But right, right, but, right. but I don't like what why are you why are you trying to ruin people's lives for things they said when they were teenagers? Now, I mean, it should, uh, I don't know, man, put a timeline on this, stu- time limit on this stuff and it like automatically deletes
1: and you never can find it again or something, you know? like. <laughs> or, even, or even let them atone for it. Like, I don't know which. Sh- I-, I heard it was Teen Vogue and she said something that was racist. I didn't see what it was, but let's say it was terrible. Let's say it was a really bad thing she said when she was 17. I don't know that she said slavery was good or something, well, whatever, let's like a really, really, a thing that we all universally can agree is bad and racist, right. okay? let her apologize for it let her say hey i was a kid i you know i i was dumb i didn't i don't agree with that now or i was whatever but i'm very sorry i can i recognize how much it hurt people and i'm so sorry it happened okay well absent any other proof that you're still a bad horrible person or that you even were back then then i think we can let you relive your life but the problem is people aren't seeking justice they're seeking it's not even retribution they're seeking like vengeance they're seeking punitive they're seeking to punish people and 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 with no it's not about it's interesting they're doing what the bureau of prisons does they're focusing on punishment over correction like instead of the person learning from it and being able to move ahead everyone has to say i was a terrible person i'm so sorry i did this what a bad person i am and then at least then they kind of leave you alone but then you're still ruined for the rest of your life and it's it's a major problem and and like i said if it continues this way tommy eventually everyone's going to be found wanting and uh and and they'll learn that when you have a religion that's based on original sin and there's no redemption everyone goes to hell
0: well, well, luckily for me, I, I drive a truck for a living, so I would probably get fired if I hadn't said anything offensive in the past. <laughs> that's always a, that's always a bonus, but um,
1: that's it's a, it's a perk.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, let's move into uh, some actual policy stuff that's that sure. we see going on around us. We got this whole push for gun control. We've had uh, oh, two two mass shootings. In the last couple of weeks, what well, I guess the last week and um, now there's this entire push for gun control yep. and i'm of the opinion, I don't know how you feel about this, but i'm of the opinion. No matter what laws these people have passed and I and i'm kind of taking this from upstate New York's uh, reaction to them trying attempting to ban ar 15s up there years ago. Yep. No matter what laws they pass, nobody's going to follow these laws, or nobody, no self-respecting gun owner is going to follow these laws, one way or the other. And number two, it's too little, too late with the three D printing industry.
1: And that's that's a big part of this is that uh, you can't, as they say, you can't stop the signal at this point an internet connection and a a 3d printer we are slowly reaching a point and not just on gun control but on many things we are slowly reaching a point thanks to the blockchain thanks to uh, encryption and thanks to 3d manufacturing we're reaching a point where uh the wars on things will cease to exist in any real way they'll be essentially unenforceable when you can because we're just at the beginning of this technology if you think where you know even phone technology has come in the last 20 years 20 years from now you'll be able to you know take a a, a file of something, buy a little bit of, you know, uh, uh, some kind of uh, material for building uh, in like a bag, like kind of similar to how, you know, uh, uh, it probably come in like a cartridge, like how ink does. And then you you print it out. Now you got a freaking, you know, 80% lower. Um, th- th- there, there's really no way to a... Effectively stop it long term. And by the way, I believe this, I think the blockchain in general is going to be making uh, government obsolete over the next generation or so. And really, we're just doing harm reduction in the meantime. But that's a whole other subject. When it comes to gun control, let's be very clear about something. The only people that are going to obey gun control orders are the absolute last people who you have to worry about ever hurting anyone with a gun. Not only are they law-abiding, but they're also on the more meek or or compliant side. Or they just have so much to lose that even if they aren't meek themselves, they just don't want to risk it for their families and their livelihood. These are the last people that are going to hurt anyone. These are not the people that are going to carry out mass shootings. These are not the people that are going to hurt other people. There are hundreds of millions of guns in this country. It is impossible, even if we wanted to, It isn't, which we don't, but even if we we wanted to it is impossible to put the genie back in the bottle at this point pandora's box is wide open and ripped to shreds there are guns everywhere and if you restrict the ability of law law abiding and and compliant people from being able to defend themselves all you're doing is creating more fish in a barrel zones you're creating more areas where mass shootings can happen let's i here is a comprehensive list of all the mass shootings that have happened at gun rights rallies or uh, uh, gun shows or uh, NRA meetings or GOA, and I hate the NRA, but GOA meetings or whatever, any group of, a large group of armed people, police departments, any any places where there are large groups of people who are heavily armed, there's never been a mass shooting. The mass shootings that happen since the Kent State shooting, every single major shooting, and I, I, they call mass shootings any, anything where four or more people are killed. If you go where, let's say, let's increase that to like 10, any shooting where there's been at least 10 people killed, it has always been in a place where either the government didn't allow guns to be there or the, the, that establishment or the owners of that property didn't allow guns to be there. Let me tell you the story of two different church shootings. The first one happened right here in South Carolina, where I live. Uh, A guy named Dylan Roof went into Mother Emanuel Church. He walked in. He actually worshipped with the people there. And then he pulled out a gun and casually murdered like 11 of them and walked out and, and drove away and got some Burger King on the way home. The reason he did that was because he was a racist and he was hoping to spark a race war. The reason he was able to do that was because Mother Emanuel Church didn't allow guns there, which meant he knew going in that he was going to be the only person there with the ability to be able to use a gun. Which meant he could just casually pop at, pop people off as you know while they while they run and hide and scream and and you know uh, and and you know try not to get killed. Here's another tr- attempted shooting that happened in I forget where it was something uh, Spring or Lake uh, Texas, but it was a shooting that happened in Texas a, a year or so ago. A guy walked into a sh- a church that did. Have allow uh, people to have guns, and there were actually some people there who were armed, whose job it was to, you know, be on the lookout. He went in. He was able to shoot one person. Uh, I think that one person survived. That one person may have died, but they, I believe, they survived. And two or three other people pulled out their guns and shot him, and he was dead. Gun control is the difference between a mass shooting and someone getting mass shot back at. Mm-hmm. We want that. We want people to get mass shot back at. I want the the bullet as i as i say to gun control advocates you want the bullets to be flying in just one direction i want them to be flying in both directions which stops it from happening at all because also most of these people now some mass shooters they're fine with dying but some of them don't want to die they want to do it and then be able to you know tell people why they did it or whatever a lot of the mass shooters that are out there are still alive they were taken alive they didn't want to die so if you create that deterrent if you make it where people know that anywhere they go Uh, they're not going to be that they're not going to be able to just go out and and, and casually kill a bunch of people. Someone's going to shoot back. The likelihood of a shooting happening in the first place goes down exponentially. And we have all the data showing that the areas that have the most gun crime and, and, and murder in general, not just gun murders, but murders in general, are also the areas that have the most gun control. And the areas that have the least gun control are also the ones that have the least amount of murders, including gun murders. So all of the data is on the side of the pro-gun argument. And the Mm -hmm. the final thing I want to say about this is that gun control doesn't stop people from getting guns. It stops people who aren't rich from getting guns. The higher that burden, that cost of barrier of entry that you create, the licensing and the fees and the tax stamps and everything else, you make it where only the wealthiest and most well-to-do people are able to defend themselves. And these are, these are people that can hire security if they wanted to. You're making it where the people who need the ability to defend themselves the most are the least able to do so. Gun control is the gentrification of gun ownership. It ensures that only the haves are able to defend themselves and the have-nots have to rely on a government that has demonstrated that they are completely apathetic to their safety.
0: And, and those of the have-nots that want to commit violent acts against other people are going to find methods of doing that with or without guns it's gonna happen i mean you look and this is you know the 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 argument always is look at the places with the most gun control the places where it's hardest to buy a gun like chicago there's still a lot of gun violence there like where are these where are the guns coming from you know like you know and i know they argue well they bring them over the border from indiana well okay but they're illegally doing that right (laughs) You know, exactly. they don't, they don't give a shit about your fucking law, man. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody cares, yeah. Yeah. you know? And, and again, like you look at upstate New York, they just ignored that law saying that you had to turn in your AR 15. Eventually they took that law off the books. Cause I think, I think out of, I think they had it somewhere around had figured that was somewhere around 3000 AR 15s in that area. And I think like three were turned in or something like that. I mean, it's like, nobody's going to comply with this. So it speaks,
1: which speaks to the fact, Tommy, that government power is actually not a real thing. Government power is illusory. It's all, it's two things. What are they willing to enforce against us with violence, but more importantly, what are we willing to tolerate? Everyone you know, including you, and everyone watching this, speeds. We all go a few miles over the speed limit here and there. Sometimes we go with the speed limit. Sometimes we don't. We actually uh, uh, get angry at the fact that there are people who get in the left lane and go only a few miles over the speed limit. We're like, get out of the left lane. This lane's for crime. Like We're all talking about this. The police themselves have kind of this standard where unless they're trying to give someone a hard time, for the most part, you're going five miles, even maybe 10 miles over, they're probably going to leave you alone. If you start going over that or you're driving recklessly, now they're going to bother you. There's a reason for that. They know they can't possibly enforce that speed limit. And so they just don't because they'd rather pick a hill that they can actually fight on. And, you know, when we refuse, when we simply and I, I, people in New York I, I were telling me about this, that, you know, when the lockdowns were first introduced, there wasn't a single car on the road. And then over time, you saw more and more people that were getting out. Now, Some of that was people that weren't scared anymore of the virus and were realizing they could still do things that they were allowed to, but a lot of it was people doing stuff they weren't necessarily allowed to. And if even five or 10% of the population refuses to obey a rule, it becomes uh, functionally impossible for them to enforce it. I-, I wanna say one more thing about the whole gun safety thing because it's one thing for us to argue about the right to own guns because it, very clearly we have a right to own guns. The purpose of gun ownership is not hunting. It's not even safety. It is. Keep maintaining a power power balance between the haves and the have-nots, between the people in positions of power and the rest of us. It is about mm-hmm. making sure that politicians remember that they are warm bodies uh, that can catch lead like anyone else. Not threatening them with it, not you know any anything else. But a, a government that fears its people is a lot more humble and a lot less infringing and a lot less uh, 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 abusive to the people. Mm-hmm. What, but to a lot of people, their concern is safety. Well, if you if you have these guns, there's going to be more murder. Well, we know that. There's two main, uh, I guess, superpowers that are similar in demographics, population distribution, seasonality, and so forth, and that's the United States and the entire EU, not just cherry-picked countries in Scandinavia or or or, or Western Europe, but the entirety of the EU. The murder rate in the EU is something like, uh, I think, 3.8 per 100,000. Uh, and the murder rate in the US is something like 4.1 per 100,000. It's it's negligible difference. They're basically the same. We have the same murder rate. Now, the difference is their murders are done primarily very few gun murders. They just have more other types of murders to offset it. Here, we have more gun murders even though the majority of more, uh, majority of murders happen not with a gun or not with a rifle. There's still more gun murders because that's a tool that's more readily available here, but it doesn't reduce the amount of murder by any real way. If someone wants to commit murder, if someone has reached a point where they say I want this person's life to end and I don't even care if I get in trouble or go to jail or whatever else I this person has to die, they don't care if they have a gun or not, the gun might make it easier, but it doesn't make it less likely to happen. And we see that. If that were the case, then the overall murder rate in the EU would be much lower. And no, you can't cherry pick some, you know, highly affluent country like Monaco or, you know, or or, or pick Japan, uh, which in general has a much lower crime rate because of their culture of politeness. You can't cherry pick these countries because I can just as easily turn around and cherry pick a country like Venezuela or or, or Tunisia or Egypt or something like that. That. Right. So if, if you want to take comparable countries that are p- comparable major population centers, the EU and the U.S. murder rates are almost compa- are almost identical.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. And, you know, um, it, it's it, it, I think that people fail to look at the, the the fact that there's something truly wrong with the culture whenever yeah. whenever this is when the, this is. There was a time not so long ago that kids used to go to a gun class in public school.
1: In school, yeah.
0: But when I was in high school, people still drove around in pickup trucks with gun racks in their windows. You know, so it's like, no, th- this isn't about the guns, man. <laughs> like, there's something else happening here. And, you know, when you have a country that is engaged in perpetual war, you have the, the perpetual inflation of the dollar and, and, and the American dream completely depleting year by year by year by year. You're coming up on the first generation of children who are are likely to not do as well as their parents in yep. the history of the United States. There's an issue with what's going on, and it's not because of the guns. It's because of the way the government handles its policy decisions and and the environment that it's it's fiscal and war policy has created for all of us you know they talk about suicide rates in the u.s well quit sending soldiers over over to die you know yep. quit quit making them see all these horrible stuff overseas for what to to line the pockets of some politicians and some multinational corporations like let's yep. stop that let's stop inflating the dollar to the to the point where companies are forced to move overseas to other countries because they can't afford to pay the labor here and quit jacking up the um, the minimum wage laws let's stop doing that let's quit creating the atmosphere for depression if you want to stop suicide (laughs) you know And and that's what that's what bothers me is nobody wants to talk about the root of all these issues. They just want to talk about, oh, well, there's gun crime. Okay. Yeah. Where did it come from? How did it appear? Yeah.
1: You know? Gun control is very, very heavy in Latin America, and they have some of the highest rates of gun crime. Do you know why? Because the US government's gun control or uh, war on drug policy has empowered cartels, both indirectly by creating a black market and directly through CIA and and other intelligence agency, direct support for specific uh, cherry pick cartels that they use to fight against the cartels they don't like. And they've created this gun violence. You can't get away from violence uh, by saying, uh, most people can't own this Tool, only the rich and people who don't care about laws can have this tool. That doesn't change anything. It actually makes it worse. Right. Um, when we look at the, so I, as I was saying before, when they tell us there are all these mass shootings that happen every single week, every single month, they count as I think either three or four or more dead in a shooting. The vast majority of those shootings are gang related violence because of the war on drugs. Right. We saw a similar Uh, thing happened during the war on alcohol, during the prohibition of alcohol. Uh, in the nineteen, uh, what nineteen, nineteen or nineteen twenty, when they passed uh, uh, the Eighteenth uh, Amendment uh, pro- prohibiting alcohol sales, right. immediately you saw cartels spring up. Two-bit thugs that used to do protection rackets and running numbers and stuff for bit money were suddenly becoming millionaires and even billionaires. Some of the first billionaires in this country were, you know, people that were making money from the alcohol trade illegally. People like Al Capone, uh, people like um, uh, like Joe Kennedy, people that were making a freaking fortune and engaging in campaigns of mass murder around the country to protect their turf months after they end the war on alcohol your dog is beautiful by the way thank you boogie boogie he is beautiful yeah um i I love boogie he's just licking the hell out of me i'm like stop dude stop (laughs) no he's good boogie's good boogie can do no wrong but when we ended the war on alcohol, when we ended prohibition, within a matter of months, those gangs fell apart. They started fighting each other because they didn't have any money anymore. They had to the the ones, the few ones that were able to stay around, had to find the new drug trades like heroin and cocaine, or they had to get into gambling. And many of them had to go legit and just stop doing it. Joe Kennedy ended up have, getting into politics, and his and his kids ended up, you know, the, the Kennedy dynasty. When we end the war on drugs, we end almost all of this crime because now instead of, you know, street gangs fighting on the street for turf, now it's something that can be bought on Amazon or right. bought in a store. And, and no, I don't want people buying heroin, but they're going to buy heroin. And frankly, a lot of them wouldn't be buying heroin if they could use cannabis as, a, as a, a pain relief alternative. But they can't, so they get addicted to opioids, which are illegal. And then when they get their, their FDA l- limit on how many opioids they can have, they turn to either buying opioids from someone else or the much cheaper option, which is uh, black tar heroin, street drugs. Mm-hmm. This The war on drugs has created this problem, including the 90 plus percent of the gun violence problem
0: right no absolutely you're absolutely correct about that and uh, it, you know it, it's so frustrating when you look at you know a country like portugal who who decriminalized yes. all drugs and, and the way that it turned around for them. And you uh, you present this evidence to people and they're just like, Well, that's a different country. And I'm like, What are you trying to say that the Portuguese are better people than the, the American citizens? The is that is that what us. yeah. yeah <laughs> are they are they just a better, they have a better nature about themselves? They're more reasonable than the than US citizens. That's what you're saying. A, 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 I just don't understand where your argument is. Like (laughs) that that yeah it's a different country
1: portugal's situation is it's hard unless you live in an area that is being acutely affected uh by the opioid crisis The whole country was like that. Their overdose rates, I forget the exact numbers, but they were through the roof. We've never seen anything comparable here to what Portugal was suffering from. Their crime, they used to be a very safe uh, and docile country, and they were becoming increasingly crime-ridden. And they were using these very strong anti-drug policies to try to crack down, and it was just making it worse and worse and worse. It was, you know, as they would crack down more, the black market was strengthened, the the crime got worse, the addictions got worse, the overdoses got worse, everything got worse. And then eventually... It was so bad that it actually forced them to take a step back and go, wow, maybe we're doing this the exact opposite way that we should. Maybe right. we should be listening to these you know, drug uh, decriminalization a- advocates. And so they did. And there has been a complete, like you said, a complete turnaround. Mm-hmm. They now have some of the lowest rates of overdose and addiction in Europe. They now have some of the lowest rates of crime in Europe. And it was because instead of treating addicts like criminals, they treated addicts like people who needed help. They treated them like patients. Now I'm a libertarian. I don't support government programs or anything like that. I will say this, if I have to choose between spending this much money to get people help, and get, making the problem better so they can get back on their own two feet or spending this much money to throw them in a cage and turn them into a criminal because they have to get hard just to stay alive in there and to survive and creating a black market and creating much more harm. I will take this option you know, every single day of the week. Um, and the reality is, over time, things have gotten increasingly better there. And they haven't even fully legalized it. All they did was said, uh, well, they legalized some things, but for other things, they said, okay, you still can't have this. But we are, if we find you with it, we're not going to, uh, we're not going to fine you or punish you or anything else. We're going to take it from you, but then we're also going to offer you help. And just that little mild change. Still keeping it illegal, which again, I support full legalization, but or or full what decriminal whatever you want to call it, but where people can can put what they want in their bodies because it's none of anyone else's business. And there is still somewhat of a black market in Portugal because there are things that are still not allowed. So they could do even better. But by simply not punishing the user and by simply not punishing people for possessing it, and instead just taking it from them, and if they have an addiction, offering them some help, that drastically turned things around. If we did, if we did just that here, even not fully ending the War on drugs, but just softening it just a little bit, we'd see so much less violence, so much less addiction, so much less overdose. Things would be so much better.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah no, you're you're absolutely right. And I I look at like they're 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 attempting to try this in Oregon. And I, I'm I'm hoping that yeah you know that the federal government doesn't step in like Obama did with the, the marijuana and and try yeah. to try to. Change their mind for them, so to speak. I hope hope not. You know, so you know, because that just that's just that much worse. You know, the centralization and goodness boogie. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> he's just—he's so a, he, a monster. My, Look no, at this I love BS him. Thing. I love him. Let him do what he wants. Let Boogie do what it. This is Boogie's <laughs> show now. We uh. So when I had a when I had a, a dog before he he passed away, he used to sit at my feet during some of my my podcasts because I I'd close this door to the room, but he figured out how to open it. So he mm-hmm. literally opened it and come in and sit at my lay at my feet, and that was usually fine. But then sometimes he'd be hungry or want to go out, and he'd start groaning. And so I'm trying to interview someone or do an interview, and you hear. Uh, like that it's because he's right there by the mic and it's like shut up so no i i totally empathize with you but no boogie boogie can do no wrong uh
0: usually it's it's either him barking or his squeaky toy he's usually running around with a squeaky toy like squeaking it in my ear while i'm trying to interview But we've been going for an hour anyway. So um you have any that's what he's telling you.
1: He's saying it's he's saying it's time to wrap it up. He's hot
0: too. (laughs) He's hot too, because if I have this truck running while I'm trying to interview, it's distracting. Oh it it makes all kinds of noise. So
1: yeah, no, you gotta you gotta take care of boogeyman. (laughs) Yeah,
0: so you 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 have any anything you want to plug before we get off here?
1: Yeah, so I just want to say, like I said, again, I think the most important thing is that we need to focus when we're doing messaging, when we're talking to people about libertarianism, when we're talking to people about the message of liberty, we need to focus on two things. Number one, most people don't care about natural rights, because they don't know they're supposed to care, they care about how something will benefit or hurt them. So we need, even though we're not consequentialists, even though we don't, we aren't libertarians, because it works, we're libertarians, because it's right, we need to be able to message to people to explain how it works, because it does work. And, um, and you know, if we know that it works, then we don't need to argue with people, we can just explain how it works for them. And then, you know, try as best we we, as we can to do it from a place of I'm a libertarian, not because I hate what's happening, but because I love the people that I want to get better. I want to make this situation better for everyone and, and focus on that positive change. Because a lot of everyday people, they've got enough negativity in, your, in their lives. And if you show up and tell them how terrible everything is, they're not going to want to hear it. But if you show up and tell them how we can have things better, then you know we can really get somewhere. And then I guess the last thing I want to say is, uh, you know, uh, my website's coming out soon. Uh, it's going to be spikecohen.com. Uh, in the meantime, you can check me out on social media. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on YouTube. I'm on Instagram. I'm on TikTok for the kids. Uh, but soon you'll be able to go to spikecohen.com. It'll have all my different stuff there, including my uh, upcoming events. Um, check out my, my, you know, check out my events uh, calendar on my Facebook. Uh, that has all my upcoming things that I'm going to be at. If I'm in your area, come on out. I'd love to meet you. I, everywhere I go, I try to do as much Q&A as possible, answer as many people's questions as I can. I go out places. I don't go out places to give speeches. My speeches are like five, 10 minutes long. I go out to meet people, talk to people, get people excited about Liberty. So if I'm coming to your area, come uh, come hang out and, and love to meet you. And thank you for having me on your show, Tommy.
0: Oh, it was a pleasure, man. Thank you for coming back on uh, coming on, and I hope to have you on again.
1: I'd love it, man. Thank you.
0: Uh, all right, bub. Would well, you
2: have a good one? game of pick and choose Well, it's a game that was made for you to lose It doesn't really matter how many times It's the same old worn-out story, same old lines They're all pointing dirty fingers in hypocrisy Bragging on their feet of mediocrity again and I find that strange and That's why I say fuck them, don't feed them Cause we don't even need them I never celebrate the time i of taking our freedoms Yeah, I said fuck them, don't feed them Cause we don't even need them I never celebrate the time i of taking our freedoms They keep on losing But they all gather in the rallies And they chant their names do goddamn well that it's all gonna be the same Just four more years of war and taxes Four more years of them grinding down their axes And that's why I say fuck them, don't feed them Cause we don't even need them I never celebrate the towns that I take in I feed them Don't feed them because we don't even need them and I'm gonna celebrate the times out